excited to come back and dive back into our study of the book of Acts because we are landing right in one of my favorite stories of the book of Acts because we're able to witness um, a setup by God that not only reminds people back then and today the power of the gospel, but how Christians back then and today that can have confidence in the gospel as well. And while you're turning to the book of Acts chapter 10, I want to ask you a question. Um, when was the last time that you had a spontaneous conversation with someone about the gospel? You know what I mean? Like, when was the last time you're just going through your life, minding your own business, and lo and behold, God sets up one of these divine appointments for you to interact with someone about the gospel? Yeah, um, with SWIM, uh, before COVID, I found myself sitting on the pool deck four hours most days, four hours, and I'd always bring a chair, and sometimes I'd sit with friends, sometimes I'd bring my computer, do emails and study and different things, but it always surprised me how often I'd end up having conversations with people about the gospel. Like once people found out I was a pastor sitting on the pool deck, I would have marriage counseling right there on the pool deck. People would just come up and start asking me questions. What does the Bible teach about marriage? It's wild. I had one guy who was a leader of a Mormon church and came by and we're sitting there having discussions. He was saying, here's Mormon theology and me bringing up scripture and saying, well, it doesn't match. Having great conversations and people coming around and just listening to the dialogue. That wasn't mean or contentious at all. It, Number of times during that season, people come up and we'd interact about politics. What's the Bible say about this issue? Or what does the Bible say about Christians and churches' involvement in politics? It just always surprised me on how regularly I would have these conversations with people just sitting there minding my own business. Since COVID, I haven't been able to be on the pool deck as much. And I was just thinking this week, oh, I wonder where my new ministry area ought to be. And don't get me wrong, I still have an office here. I spend a ton of time here doing my job here. But I think we ought to be more about than just here. I was thinking this week, you know, since I'm not on the pool deck all the time, where, where am I going to place myself in an opportunity for God to set me up with someone to share the gospel? I was thinking, how about you? In the midst of your busyness of life, doing church things, family things, citizen things, work things. When was the last time you had one of these spontaneous conversations with people about the Lord? See, I think it's easy to get busy in our Christian life and forget what we're here to do. We get so busy doing things, being things, building things, paying for things. We forget about reflecting and professing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I love about uh, this story in Acts chapter 10. Because it allows us to see a group of people that not only learn something powerful about the gospel, but it reminded people about having confidence in the gospel. And I believe that God, although he not only sets up people back then, for opportunities to share the gospel. I think God still does that today.
you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 10, I want to give you a brief context. See, we're in the middle of Acts chapter 10, and, and really, if you want to understand the book of Acts, it all begins in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Like, you really need to focus. This is a core aspect where Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. As a result of the Holy Spirit, like the purpose, one of the huge purposes of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to be his witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and as the remotest parts of the earth. I mean, one aspect of the role of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to do this job, to be a witness. And after that moment, after a period of time, the Holy Spirit came and empowered those believers, each one equally. And then the apostle Peter gave a gave a message and everything just launched from there. God was adding to their number day by day by the thousands. They were seeing unity, generosity, transformation of life and culture. Even when persecution came, the church continued to minister, grow, and thrive. And even the chief architect of that persecution, Saul, You want to talk about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel penetrated his heart, transformed his life, and by the end of chapter 9, he was becoming a leader within the church. But then the end of chapter 9, there's kind of a pause in that storyline, and we go back to Peter, the original architect of the church, right? The foundational element, the original leader. And, and we see him traveling through Jewish communities, ministering to people, strengthening churches. And we're reminded about the fact that the church is continuing to grow. It, it grew in Jerusalem, Judea, most recently in Samaria. But what about Gentiles? What about this last group of people And I love how Brett, last week, began our story in Acts chapter 10 by describing it as a setup. How God made, uh, set two men up, two very different men, for one powerful event and purpose. It began in chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 10, let me remind you about one of them. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 says this, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. You have this one guy, Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He is, he is a, a commander, a centurion. It means a commander of 100 other soldiers. But look how else the Bible describes him. A devout man. Devout. Tells us Cornelius was faithful and committed to the God of the Bible. Not only was he a devout man, he feared God. He had this reverent awe and deep respect for the God of the Bible. He was generous with his money towards the Jewish people. And look at that, he prayed to God continually. You ever wonder what he prayed about? Maybe he prayed about his life. But I think there's one element that we 
gain a hint about what he prayed about. See, as shortly after that, verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God. An angel of God who had just come in said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said this, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial to God. God has heard your prayer. What's he praying about? And I love the angel that said, God has heard your prayer. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is called Peter. So here you have Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's living his life all the right way. He's generous with people. He's devout to God in his heart. Right? He has this heart, this reverent heart for the Lord. He prays all the time. He probably doesn't smoke, doesn't chew, doesn't go with girls who do. Like he's living everything right, but there's one thing deep in his heart. He's still separated from God. See, as a Gentile, he was still held at an arm's length. Regardless of his heart. Because of his nationality. And most believe that was the heart of his prayer. God, draw me close. God, fix this separation between you and me. There's nothing Cornelius could do in his life more than he did, but he's still separated from God. But here's what I find fascinating. The angel doesn't answer his prayer, right? The angel doesn't give him the answer. The angel says, go to Peter. Call Peter and Peter will give you the answer. So now you have Cornelius, one man who knows that God's up to something. But he doesn't know what. And because of the story, we get this picture as God is ministering to Cornelius. He's also doing something with Peter. See, at that same time, Peter's in a completely different area and he has a vision. He has a vision of a sheet coming down with all sorts of creepy crawly things, which reminds me of some of the dreams that I've had. But this time God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds as a good Jew, no, 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 I don't do that. And then remember the message at the end of the vision, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And just in case Peter missed it, look at verse 16, Acts chapter 10, verse 16. This happened three times. Man, I love that. That's like God saying, Peter, I know you're dense sometimes and you missed this. So I'm going to give this message to you three times. What God has called holy, you don't see any different. After that, Peter wakes up. God says, Peter... This guy Cornelius is going to call for you. Go to his house. So now you have Peter. He knows God's up to something. But he doesn't know what. Two men completely different. You have Cornelius. You have a Gentile. He's a leader in the culture. He has a good heart for the Lord. He prays constantly, looking for connection, kept at an arm's length, powerless to fix his spiritual life. He knows God's up to something. He doesn't know what. And then the end, you have Peter, complete opposite. I mean, he's a Jew. He has connection with God. He walked with Jesus for three years. 
He was given the keys of the kingdom. He was the foundation of the church. Man, if there's anyone who should know what God's up to, it would be Peter. But in the early part of chapter 10, here we see another man who knows God's up to something. But he doesn't know what. All they're doing is walking in faith. Cornelius knows God's up to something. And God says, just call for Peter. Peter knows God's up to something, and he says, go talk to Cornelius. This huge setup, all of this great stuff, and you have two guys that know God's up to something, but they don't know what. And I was thinking this week, man, I love that. Because there's so many times in my life where I'm confident God's up to something, but I don't know what. I think so often people assume because I'm a pastor of the church that I not only know what God's doing, but I know exactly what he's doing. So I just want to burst that bubble right now. I'm confident that God is at work in the Chino Valley. But I'm not exactly sure how he's going to do that. So all we can do is walk forward in faith that God's going to do work. How about you? In your life, you ever confident that God's at work, that God's doing something? You just don't know what? You know God's working in the heart of your spouse, but you just don't know how? You know God's working in the lives of your children, your grandchildren? Like you just know it, you're confident in God said he's doing it, but you don't know how? We know God's at work in our culture. We know that he is. But when we live in kooky California, sometimes we don't know how. The Bible calls us to forgive those who wrong us. And even though everything in our life tells us that we shouldn't do it and we don't see how this is going to work out for God's glory, we still need to do it. Those steps of faith that you know God's at work and he's calling you to jump, but you don't see how it's going to work out. I think there's a number of times where we know that God is up to something, but we're not sure what it is. And if that's ever been in your life, I just want you to know you're in good company. Because I'm confident that's what's going on with Peter and Cornelius right here in Acts chapter 10. Two good men who know God's up to something, but they're not sure what. So in this instance, what do we do? When we know God is stirring, we know God is moving, but we're not sure what he's doing, what do we do? That's why I want to get to the last part of this story because I think we gained some great elements, some great ideas on how we can respond. As we continue in this setup between God, Cornelius, and Peter, we get to the Middle of verse 23, look what happens. After the initial part of this setup, on the next day he got up, meaning Peter, and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he went to Caesarea. Now look at this, end of verse 24. Now Cornelius, look at what he, he was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. We're right here in the middle of the setup. Cornelius doesn't know. Remember, let's go back. Cornelius doesn't know what God's doing. 
He's been reaching out to God. God sent an angel and said, hey, God heard you. Go call Peter for the answer. That's all Cornelius knows. He doesn't even know what the answer is. But the Bible says that Cornelius is there waiting. That term waiting doesn't mean that he's just taking a nap and bored. And it means that he's like a kid on Christmas Eve. He's got this nervous anticipation, this expectation that something amazing is going to happen. I mean, he reached out to God and God responded and said, I'm up to something. You don't know what it is. Go get Peter. And Cornelius went and got Peter and he just sat there and waited with anticipation and expectation that God's going to do something so much. Look at this. He was so anticipating something great, he called together his relatives and close friends. I mean, he was so expecting God was going to do something, he called everyone that he cared about to come with him and experience it too. And I was thinking, man, when was the last time I was anticipating the work of God so much that I invited everyone I knew and cared about to witness it with me? How about you? When was the last time you were so expecting and anticipating God to do a work You didn't want anyone you cared about to miss it. You invited them to come and watch it. There's no doubt, there's no question. God's gonna show up and something's amazing's gonna happen. You gotta be here and watch it. When was the last time you felt that? I feel more likely in Christianity, it's, hey, we're out of here. God's not moving here, we're moving. God's done with my spouse, I'm quitting. God's through with my kids. I'm giving up. I mean, how often in our lives do we just assume that God's done? Not Cornelius. He knew that God was up to something, that God was doing something. He just wasn't sure what, but man, he invited everyone he cared about to come and watch it because he was confident it was going to be great. We go on, we get Peter's response. When Peter entered, I'm in verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met with him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I am too just a man. First thing Peter had to do is correct some stuff. Cornelius starts worshiping Peter. Hey, Peter, you're worthy of all my praise and all my worship. You're going to be the solution to all of my problems. Peter says, oh, oh, I'm just a man. I'm just a man just like you, broken. And if Peter's completely honest, I'm just as lost as you, man. I don't know what I'm doing here either. The big difference between Peter and Cornelius, Peter has a relationship with Jesus, empowered with his spirit. Cornelius does not. I think this week, how much, how easy is it for us to be like Cornelius, lifting our pastors and spiritual leaders up to this place where they get our worship, they get our attention, they get our focus, they get our trust? Political leaders, community leaders, parents, spouses. Peter gives a great encouragement to Cornelius and to us. Hey, we're just people. All of us are broken. The difference is some are forgiven and some are not. After that, Peter goes on. Verse 27, as he was talking with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Second thing we see, Peter. Peter's kind of surprised. Oh, Okay, there's a party here. I thought I was just coming to talk to Cornelius. Cornelius, I didn't know you invited the family. 
And the friends, Peter's walking into this thing. He's surprised. Oh, I guess there's a crowd. Verse 28, he said to them this. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection and I was sent for you. Peter says, hey, I recognize. I recognize God's up to something. I recognize this is a movement of God like the gospel is moving. I recognize it. God told me I shouldn't stay away from you. See, the law culture that time, if you visited and went into a home of a Gentile, you're ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. You had to go through all these rituals. It was quite expensive. Peter says, look, you know what? I know God's not about that. I know God's up to something. But here's what I love, and I wonder if you missed this. Peter, at the end of verse 29, 29, he says, I know God's up to something, but I don't know what. Look, look how he ends it. After he says, I came here without raising any objection when you called for me at the end. So I asked for what reason you've sent for me. Peter's completely clueless as to why he's there. This is a setup. You have this, uh, this grand plan where God takes these two guys. Both of them know God's up to something. Neither of them know what it is. Peter says, okay, I'm here. I know God's doing something. I don't know what. So tell me, what am I doing here? Listen to Cornelius' response. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, surprise, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Verse 32, therefore, send a Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Verse 33, Cornelius says, so I sent for you immediately, and now you've been kind enough to come. Now then, we're here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We're here, Peter, for you to do what God told you to do in Acts 1.8. We're here. Give us the gospel. I was reading this this week thinking, man, that is terribly inefficient of God. Don't you think? I mean, this has been a lot. This has been a setup. This has been extremely difficult. People traveling three days. Both guys, good people, clueless on what's going on, knows God's up to something. They don't know what. God's pulling all the strings, trying to get them together. Even Peter, the leader of the church, has the keys to the kingdom, the rock that God's going to build his church. He's clueless. I mean, why didn't God just have an angel do it, right? Cornelius, why didn't the angel just give him the gospel right there? That would have saved everyone trouble. You ever have that question? Why doesn't God just use a vision? Why do we have to go to Ethiopia, Africa, Papua New Guinea, South America, Estonia, Europe? Why, why do we, why? Couldn't God just send an angel? Give a vision? Give one of those dreams, have a sheet come down with a bunch of Bible verses on it and just give everyone the gospel. Why did God go to such great lengths? 
Why did God pull all these strings, work this huge, complicated setup with two good people who knew God was moving but didn't know what he was doing? Why did God do all that? Here's why. Sharing the gospel is a privilege and a responsibility God has given us and only us. You know that. Sharing the gospel is a privilege and responsibility God has given us, his people, and only us, his people. Could God send an angel? Sure. Could God do a vision? Yep. Could he use Siri? Absolutely. (laughs) But he has called and empowered you. Love how the Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 10. Look what he said. He says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Man, sharing our faith, being a the, the reflection of the gospel of Christ. It's not a burden. It's a responsibility and a privilege that God has given us. Why didn't Jesus just use an angel? Because Peter had to learn something. And Cornelius had to hear something. Well, what did Peter learn? Let's go on. Look at verse 34 then. After basically Cornelius says, hey, my family, everyone who's important to me is here for you to do what God told you to do. I love Peter's response. Verse 34, opening his mouth. By the way, that phrase, opening his mouth, is a Greek idiom for something important about to come out of Peter. And I love that because sometimes important things don't come out of Peter. And so I love that, that Luke in writing it says, hey, this is an important one. Opening his mouth, meaning, okay, something powerful is about to come forth. Don't miss it. Opening his mouth, Peter says, I most certainly understand now. I get it. I see it. I see something now that I didn't see three years ago as I walked with Jesus. I see something now that I didn't get in the previous year that God was building and working in his church. I see something now that I never saw before. I get it. Man, why was God orchestrating this huge setup? Number one is to show Peter something. Like Peter had to recognize something, and I wonder if you need to recognize something. Peter says, I get it now. First thing, what does he get? God is not one to show partiality. God is not one to show partiality. God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't discriminate. God doesn't judge someone based on where they're born, what language they speak, how much money they have. Man judges people on the outside. God does not. Peter says, I get it. I get it. God's heart is that no one perish, and that doesn't mean just no Jews. It doesn't mean just no Americans. It doesn't mean no just Chinovillians. I get it. God doesn't look down on people based on their skin color, 
their economic situation, the language they speak, the family they came from, the struggles they have, the political party they side with. We do that. God doesn't show partiality. Well, what's he care about? Verse 35, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to God. Man, what does God care about? People who hold him in a position of respect and awe and are willing to transform and change their lives and of allegiance to him? First thing we see in this gospel, there's no partiality. Man, God, man looks at the outside. Man looks at skin color. People look at the homes you live in and the cars you drive. Not God. Number one, God doesn't show partiality. Number, number two, Peter continues, says, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. So I think Peter says, listen, number one, oh, I get it. God looks at the heart of a man, not the outside. And number two, I get God's heart. He wants to bring peace between man and God for everybody. And again, we've talked about this term peace, but let me go over it again. Peace means more than just a peace treaty. It's more than just a temporary absence of hostility. When the Bible talks about peace with God, it's complete restoration of relationship. Fullness, contentment, community. No fear of any recourse other than that. Peter says, I get it. The heart of God is to bring peace between people and God, regardless of their language, skin color, history, economic background, political party, I get it. God wants to bring peace between man and God, people who are separated from God because of their sin. Cornelius, just like you. How does Jesus do that? Let's get into that verse 40. Peter describes how Jesus died for sins. Verse 40, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, here it is again, and he ordered us to preach to the people. Man, he ordered us to be doing this and solemnly testify that this is the one, that Jesus is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living of the dead, of the living and the dead. He was appointed. God placed him. God put him. God appointed him as judge, as the final decider between the living and the dead. God gave him the authority to declare people righteous or to declare them damned. Cornelius says, Peter, give me the gospel. Okay, here it is. Peter says, number one, God doesn't judge people based on the outside of their lives, but on, on their heart. And here's God's heart, that everyone has peace with God, reconciliation with him. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. I am the way to get to God. I am the judge of the living and the dead. I, I love how Paul summarizes it and describes this in Philippians chapter two. Put your thumb in Acts for a minute. I know we go to Philippians two a lot, but I like it. I think it's important. 
and I want to make sure that when we turn there, you know where you can find it later, because I think this is an important aspect to understand the plan of God. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. This is Paul writing to good people who love Jesus, a great church. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, and listen to the plan who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? Why would he do that? For this reason also, God highly exalted him, lifted him up, and bestowed on him, gave him, appointed on him the name which is above every name. God gave Jesus the authority. Why? Why would he do that? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Peter says, listen, Jesus is the authority. He's the judge. And everyone will stand before him. And he will either have declared you righteous or declared you damned. But make no mistake. Everyone will recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, either in humility as they bow before him or in rebellion as they reject him. So you have God shows no partiality. God desires peace. God has established Jesus as the judge and the authority. Verse 43, look at this. Of him all the prophets bear witness. Peter says, look, it's not just me. This is all the prophets of God bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. That term, everyone, all ethnies, all languages, all tongues, all colors, all economic backgrounds. Pastor Jody reminds me of this all the time, that when we pray, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, when we get glimpses of the kingdom of God in heaven, it is multiple languages praising God together. Multiple nationalities, one unified movement saved by God. The one thing we all need and the one thing he offers is forgiveness of sins. That term forgiveness, by the way, to be pardoned from your failures, given a fresh start, a new beginning from the brokenness of your lives. So picture this, after all of this set up, after all these details, Cornelius comes to Peter because Peter's like, okay, tell me why I'm here. I'm still lost. Cornelius says, give me the gospel. All of this set up for Cornelius to hear the gospel. Peter says, okay, I get it now. The gospel isn't reserved for a certain group of people. The gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe. It's available to everyone. And it brings peace between man and God. And Jesus is the one that it happens through. Cornelius, the one thing that you've been missing is forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus can give that to you. Fresh start, new beginning. No more burden, no more guilt, no more shame, no more separation. I was thinking this week, I wonder how many of you are still here who come every week and still bear the burden of your sin. If you're like me, you, you still tend to define yourself based on your weakness, your failures, your brokenness, your sins. Maybe you still go through life guilty, hopeful that no one learns about your past. And maybe some of you are here because you question whether God can even forgive you. I don't want to make sure you understand that's the power of the gospel, that there is no one too broken, no one too lost, no one too damaged for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you're like, Brian, I, I don't know if I've ever received forgiveness, just this fresh start, this new beginning, this reconciliation with God, this freedom from guilt and shame where I can just start anew with Christ. If you've never received that in just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me and just do that now. But before we do that, I want to, for the rest of you who are here, it's like, Brian, I've already received forgiveness of sins, and here's my question for you. Is there one person in your life that you know still needs to hear the gospel? See, I think God still sets people up to encourage you to share the gospel and encourage them to hear it. I think God still sets it up. Have you ever had one of those relationships where you're thinking, there's like, why on earth are we friends? Ever had that? Like you have, you have absolutely no, nothing in common. It's just this weird thing where God just threw you together in a spot and you've been walking together ever since. I still think God sets people up to hear the gospel and share the gospel. My question for you, who is God setting you up with? So I think we can be like Peter. So busy doing the Christian life. We forget to reflect the power of the gospel to those around us. I guess my question for you is one person that maybe God has put in your path. And they're like Cornelius waiting for you to share the gospel. Waiting for you to open their eyes and allow them to see Jesus as you do. You might be thinking, Brian, I don't know how to do that. I'm totally afraid. I don't know how to either even enter into that conversation. Well, here's the good news for you. We have a ton of these Bibles that look just like this. We have them at the Information Center. They're New Testaments. Those of you who have seen these before and like, Brian, the print is like this big. Don't worry, we got the larger print for you now. I recognize we're all getting older. We need bigger words. The same truth of scripture, the same sticker in the front that gives you questions to ask, verses to go to, and then questions to ask at the end. It just walks you through it. Questions in the back that you can leave in the Bible and, and give them things to wrestle with and talk about. We have a ton of these things over at the information center. My question for you is one person that God has already set you up with, and I think some of you already know, oh, I bet it's this person. We perfectly consider boldly sharing your faith with that person, helping them see Jesus as you do. Last thing, here's why I believe God still does this. Because this isn't about Peter. 
This isn't about Peter doing his message. See, Peter's not even done with his sermon. Peter's like a lot of pastors, long-winded, have a hard time closing it down. Look what happens, verse 44. Look at the result. While Peter was still speaking, like he wasn't even done. Who knows how much longer Peter would have gone. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message and all the circumcised believers, everyone who came with, with Peter, all the Christians who came with Peter were amazed. What on earth? Right? They were shocked. What? God saves Gentiles? What? And look at this. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Verse 46, they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. Look, as just, look at this, just as we did. They got the same stuff we do. There's no difference. There's no hierarchy. There's no Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free. Peter says, I get it now. God doesn't show partiality. He just wants to bring peace between mankind and God through Jesus Christ and give forgiveness of sins, a restoration of life, and an absence of this guilt that we just carry around in our lives. And he wants to transform us into a reflection of his glory and empower us to do the one thing no one else has been empowered to do, and that share this gospel with other people. Love thou the apostle Peter or I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul shared it in Ephesians. Listen to this. Another, he shared this, a good church, Church of Ephesus, good church filled with good people, reminds me so much of this church. They were an awesome church, but they needed this reminder. Peter said this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, in all, and through all. Seven times that word one, that word one. We're unified together for one purpose. Our church says it this way, we exist to glorify God by being disciples, by growing in the image of Jesus and making disciples, sharing our faith with others. I was on vacation, I tend to read a little bit more. Saw this, uh, reading this one blog, saw this quote, I don't know this guy, Edwin Markham, but I loved what he said. He said, some draw a circle that shuts men out. Race and position are what they flout. But Christ in love seeks them all to win. He draws a circle that takes them all in. Man, if there's one place, if there's one place where people ought to find hope, unity in the gospel of Christ, regardless of where they came, what they look like, how they talk, or what they own, it ought to be the church. One place where we all need the same thing, forgiveness of sins, and where we all receive the same thing equally if we just simply entrust our life with him. That's the gospel. In the end of Acts 10, Peter has this renewed confidence in it. I get it. The gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe, for everyone. I guess my question is, number one, who of you needs forgiveness of sins? 
Who needs a fresh start, a new beginning with God? A freedom from the guilt and shame and a renewal of life. In just a moment, we can pray together. But I think there's other of you saying, Brian, I already have that. And my question is, one person that God's going to set you up with to share the gospel this month. One person. Demographics tell us that over 47% of our 10-mile radius has no relationship with religion whatsoever. Yet in the Buddhists and the Catholics and, and people who are just missing some of the truth of God. Over 50%. You have good Baptist people who are missing the truth of God. One person that God can put in your path. You can encourage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus. God, many of us are here because we believe in your power to save. We believe in your mercy. We believe in your love for us. We believe in your sacrifice. We believe in the freedom that you've given us from sin. God, we're here because we're grateful that you have restored us, renewed us, transformed us, and empowered us to be a reflection of your glory. God, we acknowledge that we are instruments uniquely called and empowered for one purpose, to proclaim your good news. So God, I pray that you give us one name. God, place someone in our life. God, set us up with one person that we can proclaim the good news as Peter did to Cornelius. And God, I pray you give us boldness and courage that we would walk in your steps just as Peter did. God, I pray for those people who are here today. God, they've been looking for you. God, they recognize they need forgiveness, the freedom of guilt, the freedom of shame. God, they want a fresh start, a new beginning with you. God, for those people, I pray you hear them as, as you've promised. As they share their brokenness, they confess their failures before you. God, I pray you hear them and forgive them just as you said. And God, may I pray that you give them the peace that surpasses human understanding as you fill them with your spirit. You give them a joy that's overflowing. You give them a renewal of life, a fresh hope, and the power of your spirit. God, lead them in the paths of righteousness from this point on for your name's sake. God, we praise you and thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first end of every month is communion. Is something given to us and directed to us from Scripture to remind us and remind us of the confidence we can have in the gospel. It was instituted at the Last Supper where Jesus took the bread and broke it before his disciples, well aware of their future failure and weakness. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He said, eat it in remembrance 
of my sacrifice. They also then grabbed the cup, the cup of the covenant. He said, this is a new covenant poured out, shed with my blood. As a reminder, it's the power of that blood that declares you righteous, that declares you holy, that there's no one too broken, there's no one too lost, there's no one too rebellious for the blood of Christ to cover. And that blood of Christ not only takes you from that position of sin, but places you in a position of honor and glory and privilege and opportunity to profess the glory of Christ to others. The Apostle Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the power of the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. So today, before we go, let's remember and regain confidence in the power of the gospel. Whether today is your first time of accepting the gospel or the hundredth year of you doing it, we'd like to welcome you up here. The deacons will be up here at the tables and the ushers will come forward and dismiss you row by row. Grab the elements, take them back to the table, and then we'll take the elements together as one church. Let's go now.